The great reality that you who are in Christ live in an already but not yet state is at the core of Pauline theology, meaning Paul's theology. And of course, it's not just Paul's, it's apostolic theology. It's the New Testament theology. And what I mean by that is that the future age, the future kingdom age, uh, has been inaugurated with the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And with his death and resurrection, the new creation began. A new, uh, under a new covenant, consecrated by his own blood and empowered by the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost. So that you who are in Christ no longer belong to this present evil age. You no longer belong to the realm of the flesh. You are no longer under law. You belong to the future age. Your citizenship, Paul says in Philippians 3.20-21, is in heaven. And so it is from there also that we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. <clears throat> what a glorious future you and I share who are in Christ. Our hope, our uh, glory that is awaiting us has already begun, but it is yet to be fully realized. And that's how we want to, uh, what we want to address today in this episode as we talk about what is the normal Christian life. Now, we were at a point in the letter to the Romans, uh, in which we have been looking at Romans 7, 7 through 24, and we had concluded that what Paul is speaking of in that section is not the normal Christian life, but the life without the Spirit. In this case, particularly, the Jew who's attempting, who has a high view of the law and attempting to keep it, but cannot in his own flesh. Sin is something that is in control of him. He's, he cannot keep the law, regardless of his high view of it. Regardless of even how he would like to, he simply can't keep it. And the despair and the uh, foreboding of an eschatological condemnation that awaits him leads him to cry out, O wretched man that I am, who will free me from the body of this death? This isn't a matter that the law is the problem. No, the law is just and good and holy. The problem was that those without the Spirit of God, those who are not a regenerate person under the new covenant of the Spirit, cannot deal with God on a basis of law. They simply can't. They come up condemned every time. Now, there are those, of course, who delude themselves into thinking they can keep the law or that the uh, epoch of the law is still in force and therefore that they should try to uh, uh, impose it on other believers and not upon themselves. But we have learned that that's not the case. There are two ages, and the, and the law belongs in this present age. It was given as a temporary, transitory measure to restrain sin, to expose sin in this present age. But with the coming of Christ, 
a new age has dawned. Not the new age, as we understand, with some uh, uh, secular spiritualities. Don't confuse the terms. That's not at all what I'm saying. But in a new age in the sense that the age to come, the kingdom age, has invaded the present. So that we now live in Christ as those who have, been, who have died to sin. We have been released from the law so that we might belong to another, namely him who was raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. And that fruit that we bear is the fruit of the Spirit. Indeed, Romans 7, 6 reads that we uh, serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. All these things are, are glorious beyond imagination. So we belong no longer to the realm of the flesh, but into the realm of the Spirit. And these are absolutes. The unbeliever belongs to the realm of the flesh. The believer, however uh, novice, however immature, however failing, nonetheless belongs in the realm of the flesh, of the Spirit. And so we are learning to walk by the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us therefore walk by the Spirit, Paul says in Galatians 5. So we also recognize that there is suffering. That if we're going to identify with Jesus, the suffering servant, if we're going to identify with the crucified one, that we are not going to be part of this world, even as he was not of this world, we are going to experience blowback from this world. Indeed, Paul told Timothy that anyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, there are many levels of persecution. Sometimes it's simply rejection from friends and family. Sometimes it's mockery by friends and co-workers, so on and so on, all the way up to actual martyrdom by death. But there will be sufferings. If we're going to identify with Jesus, if we're going to shed the religiosity of the world, if we're going to throw off the ways of the world, and we're going to follow in his blood-stained footprints, there will be some level of persecution. But Paul tells us in Romans 8, 8, 8 18, excuse me, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So we're in this time of glory. The glory of God has descended upon his people in Christ. And that the creation, however, still is longing, groaning for the full revelation of the children of God. And we, too, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, while we are fully redeemed, we are no more, can never be more accepted before the Father than we are right now. We are in absolute fellowship with the Father and the Son by the Spirit. We are yet to fully realize the full implications of our redemption in the redemption of our bodies. And so we do groan, Romans 8 tells us. We have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption to the sonship, uh, namely the redemption of our bodies. So we have this uh, suffering, can, the struggle with sin, both uh, in the world, externally, and internally in our unredeemed bodies. That does not mean that we are sold under sin. 
Not at all. It does not mean that we are still slaves to sin. Not at all. It does not mean that we are under obligation to sin. Not at all. Paul is very vividly clear about that. Romans 6, 7, and 8, and with 7 being kind of an excursus in between those chapters 6 and 8, uh, simply pointing out the fact that we are dead to sin. We are dead to the law so that we belong to Christ and that life without the Spirit is miserable. It leads us only to despair. But therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the law of the Spirit who gives life has set us free from the law of sin and death in order that the righteous requirement of the law may be fulfilled in us. Beloved, consider the great truth that to not be under the Mosaic law is not, it does not equate to lawlessness. That is how it is often framed by the law people. That somehow if you're not under the Mosaic law, if you're not, if you're not adhering to and meditating on the quote-unquote moral law, the Ten Commandments, that somehow you're antinomian, you're lawless, you're libertarian, and that shows and displays a utter, quite frankly, and with all due respect, an utter ignorance of the gospel. It's a scary place to be because at the heart of the gospel is a life of a transformed heart, a renewed mind, one where the, the law has simply been written on the hearts and minds and will of the new creation that you are in Christ. So that we have the righteous requirement of the law being fulfilled in us. Nonetheless, we are still dealing with these unredeemed bodies. And by walking in the Spirit, we put to death the deeds of the body. So these are very important principles. And I want to spend a little more time today just addressing uh, what Paul begins to deal with in Romans 8 what he alludes to regarding this inward groaning and how important it is for us to recognize that we are in a not yet fully realized state. And then while that doesn't diminish, not for a moment, our full acceptance before the Father in Christ, it simply means that we're a work in progress. We have not yet been fully realized in our redemption. And therefore the Spirit intercedes for us, Paul tells us in Romans 8, 26 through 27. He intercedes for us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we even ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So the normal Christian life can be summed up as life in the spirit. Life in the new kingdom realm. Life no longer under flesh, but under uh, the spirit. No longer under law, but under grace. And it's a glorious life. In fact, we turned to 2 Corinthians last time, and we read that wondrous statement of Paul in 2 Corinthians 3.18, where he says this, Quote, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory 
are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let me put it this way. The normal Christian life is to walk by the Spirit, whereby we are experiencing ever-increasing conformity to the image of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. The normal Christian life is to walk by the Spirit whereby we experience ever-increasing conformity to the image of Jesus Christ. And this is in thought, word, and deed. What greater privilege can we have? What greater honor can we have than to be conformed into the very character of Jesus Christ. The servant is not above his master. It is enough, Jesus said, that the servant be as his master. So we are as our master, and we are in his image now, and this is happening. And while it has yet to be fully realized what we shall be, we know that when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. First John 3 also tells us that anyone who has this hope, see, the Christian life, the normal Christian life is a life of hope, not despair. Anyone who has this hope fixed on Jesus purifies himself even as he is pure. It isn't the law that motivates the pure, us to purify ourselves. Think of that. It's not the moral law, the so-called moral law, the Ten Commandments, that motivates Christians to purify themselves. It is the fact, the existential reality, that they are being conformed into the image of Jesus. And as they become more like him in Christ-like character, they only long, therefore, to put aside anything that's not of him, anything that inhibits that, and instead grow ever more increasing uh, conformity into his image. So we still carry around these bodies, however. So I want to talk with you a little bit more today about that. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay. There you go. These present bodies that we carry around are bodies of clay, bodies that God created in Adam from the dust, and to dust they will return. So the bodies that we have presently, our physical bodies belong to this age. And while our hearts and minds and will, our spirit, are the essence of who we are, is a new creation, and belongs to the new coming age, we still have these bodies that belong to this present age. They are jars of clay. But Paul says that we still have this treasure, this treasure of the gospel, uh, in jars of clay so that, that this all-surpassing power may be shown to be from God and not from us. Salvation is in no way, under no circumstances, never something that we complete in our own resources. It is not a synergism. It isn't something that God does and then you do and therefore you are saved. 
Salvation is of the Lord, 100%, all the time. And so Paul wants to make it very clear, having just laid out the glory of the new covenant gospel, that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. End quote. So we have this treasure, this wonderful treasure, this new transformed life that's ever increasing conformity to Christ, occurring in treasures a treasure in jars of clay. And while we may be hard-pressed, we're not crushed. We may be perplexed, but not in despair. Remember the one who is in despair is in Romans 7, 25, 24. Who will free me from this body of this death? O wretched man that I am. Now we don't have that. We have, we're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but never abandoned. The rejection of others no way communicates to us the rejection of God. In fact, there's an old saying that others' rejection is God's protection. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in us. Now, there's some purpose clauses there we should note. You want my under, underline that in your Bible in 1 Corinthians uh, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 10. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. We always are always subject to death. We're always subject to martyrdom. We don't know where things are going. It is possible there, that a day of persecution could come so that we are faced with the possibility of martyrdom daily. And we must be prepared for that. We American Christians, especially, are pretty comfortable 
We've got rights under the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and so on. We are relatively safe from government persecution, but that doesn't mean that we are, it's absent. Or that doesn't mean that it can't grow, and it, that doesn't mean that things can't change. So we want to be careful to always understand that we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, that we share in his death as well as his life, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, and then there's another purpose clause, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. He's speaking to the, his readers there. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is our assurance, our guarantee that we too will be raised to life. We who are in him. So when we celebrate every Paschal year, Resurrection Sunday, what the world calls Easter, when we celebrate the Paschal Sunday, we are celebrating not only the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are celebrating our resurrection of those who are in him. His resurrection being representative of the new humanity of which we are a part in him means that as our representative, his resurrection literally, explicitly guarantees our resurrection to life, the resurrection to life for those who are in him. Very important to understand. We don't have to wonder what that last day, that final day, that final resurrection holds for us. For, who are, for those who are in Christ, we know what it holds. It holds a resurrection to life. Not because of any good thing we did. Not because of any human achievement. Not because of our adherence to sacraments or rules or laws. But because by grace through faith we are united to Christ who is the resurrected one. And we will share in his glory and have a body, a glorified body, just like his. So now we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away. Yes, there's a struggle. Yes, there's a struggle. But it's a struggle we win. It's a struggle we can win. The problem with Romans 7, 7 through 24 is that it's a, a defeatism. It is a struggle uh, that ends in defeat and despair. That cannot be and must not ever be deemed to be the normal Christian life. And that is not to say there's not a struggle. But this conflict is between the spirit and the flesh. And we who are in the realm of the spirit are called to walk by the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. And as we do, we will not fulfill the deeds of the flesh. And rather, we'll put the misdeeds of the body to death. So while our outwardly, uh, outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day 
by day. Whatever age you are, perhaps you're 20, maybe you're 50, 70, 80, 90, or more. You're still being renewed day by day. Your body may show signs that it's wasting away outwardly more daily. I know mine does. That's a lot of work just to stay healthy enough to function. But I have this hope that I'm being renewed inwardly day by day. And that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. While we are in the world, Jesus promised, there will be tribulation. There will be conflict. There cannot help but be conflict. We are not of the world. The world does not know us. The world does not understand us any more than it understood Jesus. So there will be conflict. There will be troubles. But Paul says here they are momentary and they are light. And they are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And he goes on in chapter 5, by the way, to tell us again, For we know that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, and then he uses the same language as he did in Romans 8, Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed, instead, with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. But while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened. Because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. We ought to long for that day when our heavenly dwelling, our heavenly glorified bodies are ours so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Wouldn't you? I would. I would just soon that this whole thing be wrapped up as soon as possible, either personally or eschatologically in totality. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. End quote. So, what's this last statement mean? That's a little stunning, isn't it? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad, end quote. Listen, if you think any, if the Christian life is anything other, if you think it's summed up as anything other 
than ever-increasing conformity to Christ. You're missing it. You're missing the purpose of the gospel. You're missing the purpose of the Christian life. And it is likely that you're going to be subjecting yourselves more and more to the things that the world does. You're going to be subjecting yourselves more and more to the deeds of the body rather than putting those deeds to death. So there's a day coming when the only hope that we have is that we have worked to cooperate and to participate in the fact that the Spirit is at work in us, conforming us into the image of Jesus. And we must not cling to anything that's not of Him. We must not cling to any lusts or appetites of the body. We must not hide them under some kind of a, a religious veneer. For the day is coming when we will have to give an account for those things. The judgment seat of Christ is just that, the judgment seat of Christ. When we stand before him and anything in us that is not of him will be judged. So why mess with it now, right? <laughs> why cling to it now? Why not just see anything that's not of him in our character, in our thinking, in our worldview as abhorrent? And put it to death. Be rid of it now. So that we can stand before him one day. And hear those glorious words. Well done. Thou good and faithful servant. And we see Jesus. On that day as he is. And realize. We are being in now. In that moment. Perfected. Into his image. And that. For eternity ever to be with him. Well, next time we're together, I want to summarize our study. This has been a eight-part study so far. And I want to summarize it. I don't want to leave you just with the whole need to process the whole thing on your own. And so we will take some time to just review briefly what we've learned, where we've come, some of the glorious things the Lord has taught us through his word in this study. Things that we can write down, things we can integrate into our thoughts and emotions and our daily walk, and things that we can apply and then be able to communicate and articulate clearly to others who are still maybe languishing under the notion that life under law, under the flesh, by sin, enslavement to sin, is somehow the normal Christian life. When we've learned that it's not, is it? No, the normal Christian life is life walking by the Spirit in ever-increasing conformity to Jesus Christ. Amen.